Hello, it's Fern here, popping in quickly before the show because I really want to hear from you. I'm forever grateful to you every single time you press play on an episode of Happy Place. And this show really is for you. So in the interest of doing more stuff that you love and less of the stuff you're not bothered by, I would love it if you took a couple of minutes to fill out a little survey for me. The link will be in the show notes. Your input on the content and the format and the guests and all those types of things is so important to help me and the Happy Place team shape the future of Happy Place. So just click on the link in the show notes to share all your thoughts and musings. I appreciate you loads. Before we start, this episode contains a lot of conversation that might be triggering for some listeners. If that sounds like it might apply to you, check the show notes for more details. Hello and welcome to Happy Place. I'm Fern Cotton and this is your weekly reminder to gently inhale and exhale and take some time for yourself. Today I'm meeting someone who's been meditating on how his relationship with anger and love has changed since childhood. It's Ian Wright. What I wanted more than anything else, Fern, was just to be hugged and loved. So if I could go back, I'd, I'd want to hug him and say, listen, it's going to be fine. You know, remember, this is not, it's not your fault. And what happens is, is that when I got older and I started to, and I became the patriot, all of a sudden everybody loves me in the family because I'm doing well, I'm playing football, earning good money. And all of a sudden I can help everybody. It literally turned like a light switch. Everybody just all of a sudden, boom, we will love you now. Ian is a football pundit, former Crystal Palace, Arsenal and England player and host of Ian Wright's Everyday People podcast and a legend. In January 2020, he recorded his Desert Island Discs and emotionally talked about his difficult upbringing, dealing with domestic abuse at home. After receiving message upon message from people who shared similar stories to him, he decided to look into the issue further with a BBC documentary, talking about his own story in more detail and helping others share theirs. This documentary, Ian Wright, Home Truths, airs on the 6th of May on BBC and BBC iPlayer. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, let's do it. Here's the show. Hi, Ian Wright. Hey, what's happening, Fern Cotton? You okay? I'm good. How are you doing today? Are you well? Are you feeling happy? I am, to be honest. In the main, in my spirits, myself and everything that's going on, very happy. As happy as I've been for a very long time. God, that's wonderful to hear. And it's quite nice to be able to say it simply because, you know what I mean, when you look, I used to look for reasons why I weren't, I weren't happy and then I'd, I'd harp on that. But like, I haven't really got many 
reasons to not be happy in a moment. That's so, a beautiful thing. I love that. I'm quite I'm quite fortunate at the minute. Good. I'm feeling it too. The sky is blue today and, you know, it's it's I think good. maybe as well is because there seems to be light at the end of this kind of tunnel. Yeah. I know we're we're still in a lo- not lockdown fi but like the world isn't opened up properly, but it just feels like we're on the road to it opening. So it's something to look forward to. I think that's what it comes down to. It is. I think we're collectively all feeling that, aren't we? We're sort of, it's, mm. a, it's an energetic thing. You know, it's not just sort of seeing people out and about and enjoying the sunshine. It's we're energetically like feeling a bit of a lift. And that is such yeah. a good thing. I mean, and we needed it. We are. We so needed it. I mean, mm. it's been the most bizarre, well, over a year now. And one of mm. total extremes, because I think, you know, for most people, there would have been moments where it felt quite calm and peaceful. But at other times, and for some people, you know, excruciating pain and mm-hmm. all sorts of awful stuff happening. And, and we can see that illustrated. And, you know, this is something I think we've all found hard to accept. But we can see it illustrated in how all of the helplines out there have just skyrocketed. And all the charities mm-hmm. that either we know about or ones that I'm sure you work for and I do stuff for, you know, they're all through the roof. And for a plethora of reasons, whether it's, you know, depression, anxiety, but also a subject that you've been really delving into recently, which is domestic abuse. So, you know, I guess, first of all, I want to say thank you for making this incredibly powerful documentary because it is massively needed at the moment. Massively needed. It's funny. um, It came, Fern, from when I've done my Desert Island Discs. And it's really strange because they've been asking me to do that for years and years. And I met this lovely lady. I can't remember the lady's name, but she was amazing. I met her at the NTA Awards and she came over and she was just talking to me. She's lovely and she's telling me all about, she knew everything about me. It was really amazing. And we're talking and I, and I, I, I literally couldn't say no to her because she was so wonderful. And, you know, she's saying I'd be, I'd be great and she'd love to hear my story. She was talking to me like she said, I would like to hear your story. Um, and so when we'd done it and I then put the music, I tried to, because when they asked me initially, people asked me, I'd say, well, what set songs would I have? I've got, I've got to have cool tunes so people think I'm really cool. <laughs> yeah, and all that rubbish. But then by the time I did get to do it, years and years later, I was putting the music to certain things that happened in my life, what sparked memories of that time. And it was very raw. I didn't realise it was going to be as raw as it was when I picked the songs. And then it's only as soon as we got into the um, the environment and the situation, it just felt, it just felt very unerring. And when I started talking, I was very emotional right from there. I was actually emotional when she'd done my intro. I know, I heard <laughs> you crying on it. It was brilliant. <laughs> Literally heard her do my intro. And I've heard and people have done stuff like that for me before, like the intro and you listen to it. But as she's speak, I just and I knew from then, as she's doing the intro, I knew I started to well up and I thought, oh my God, what, what's happening here? And I just went into it, Fern. I went into it and I I I I didn't hold anything back. And off of the back of it, it was like the outpouring, the waves, it was like a tsunami of people saying, I experienced the same thing. I just I thought to myself, we need to do something we need to kind of address it the abuse and mental abuse and the fact that there's kids there's always kids present 90 percent of the time kids are present and you know my own stories is I didn't even realize I was a victim when I was younger and this is why when we done it it's one of the one of the most shocking things when the, the, the lady Nuria name was wonderful she was she explained to me you you were a victim you're a victim to the person that you needed the most 
right? Your mum, obviously my stepdad was my stepdad, but, and I didn't see it as anything other than, you know, no, it's just happening. It's just happening. It was horrible. I was I'm totally out of control of it, Fern. This is the thing I try to explain to people now. Um, it's not your fault. You're a child. It's not meant to be happening. There's nothing you could do about it. And those are the things that you, the messages you try to explain to people. But I, I was very unhappy, you know, like nine-year-old, very unhappy. It's funny, isn't it? Because so much of the time in life when you've experienced trauma or pain and you've mm. been reluctant to admit that it was trauma or pain you can't heal from it until you acknowledge it because you're just going no no no, it wasn't a thing it wasn't a thing you know Mm -hmm. mine to a lesser degree having a big dip of depression you know 10 odd Mm. years ago and circumstantially stuff that was going on for a long time I was just like oh what do I have to complain about this is ridiculous but until I got to that point where I could go no no this was traumatic I need Mm -hmm. to honour that it was traumatic, yeah. then you can start the healing bit. Mm. But it's hard to get over that initial, that was traumatic. Mm. Um, you know what it was? I, I, when, when I spoke to Nuri, when we was doing the documentary, we kind of realised that, so who's angry? And, you know, I remember when we was younger and they used to ask you questions in, in class about stuff and I never put my hand up because I thought I'd always get the, the answer wrong. And... You know, she kind of said, so who's angry? And I, I was sitting there and I said, I don't know. What do you mean, who's angry? Well, is it the young guy, the middle age? Is it the teenager? Is it the, is it the, the footballer? Was he angry? Who's angry? Are you angry now? And when I, when I thought of it, I thought when I was nine, when I was nine, I'm still angry for the stuff that when I found myself in rooms crying to the deepness of my soul because something that my mum just said or the, or the beating I might have just got off of him or my mum hitting me or just whatever was making me unhappy that day. And I, there was a daily basis where I'd get something that made me very unhappy, a remark or something. There's a lot of alcohol and weed smoking involved in my household. And I remember that night was so angry. And when she asked me, he's angry. I said, well, probably nine-year-old still angry inside me. And I had that. But what I'd done in the end, because the anger, because I was so suppressed in my house, you know, my stepdad, my mum, my elder brother, not Morris. Morris, my, my older brother to me, who was amazing. Um, and then my sister, who was the daughter of my stepdad. I was suppressed by all of them all the time. I didn't have no nowhere to go in respect of being like continually just on. They were on me all the time. And so when I went outside, I was very angry. Anything would start a fight. Anything would start a confrontation. And I had that as I was growing up. And I think it manifested more when I started to play football and things started to go wrong on the pitch. And I found that when I was younger, to be honest, the one thing I loved doing more than anything else was playing football. And when it went wrong on the, on the pitch, I lashed out because I felt like someone was taking away my real one love and it's, it's mine. And if you're better than me, I, I, it's like, it, I don't know, it had a damning effect on me. And I think I took that into my professional game. And this is where it really manifested. I've done some of my worst stuff, punching people, fighting, doing stuff, swearing. All the sort of stuff is where I found out I needed help. Yeah, because, you know, of course, like we've all we've all tried to suppress certain emotions and we've all mm-hmm. wanted to not look at certain things in our life, but they ha- they just have to come out, don't they? They have to manifest. Yeah. They cannot be yeah. contained. Yeah. Do you think, you know, in those times, I know you've talked about this in the documentary where, mm-hmm. you know, you might have lashed out when you were playing a game or when you were mm-hmm. back in the changing room afterward. Did you make that connection then that that was that suppressed emotion? No, it's only when I started seeing this wonderful lady, Rosalind Craig, 
And the things what I always try to say to people about getting help is that, yes, I was fortunate enough to afford to get help. It's not cheap. Mm. It's not cheap. And the thing is, is that I know that people need, need help. I needed help. And it's only when I started to speak to, to her, Fern, everything stemmed back to my childhood and my mum and the stepdad and the anger. Everything stemmed back to it. And then it's then trying to, to unravel it, unravel the anger, things she said. And I remember the, some of the time, I remember when I first went in there, I was just telling lies because like, and then I remember she said after about three, three sessions, she said, listen, you're paying, you're paying quite a lot of money for this and you're not being truthful. Um, you're not telling me the truth. If, if you want me to help you, then you're going to, um, you're going to have to tell me the truth. And I've never told anybody, whether it's the stigma of feeling like it's weakness. I don't know what's, but I never spoke to anybody like I spoke to her after that in respect of letting it out. And I literally, as soon as I started talking, started saying some stuff about my mum and stuff, it, I just couldn't stop. I couldn't stop the balling. And from there on, it's been a gradual healing process up to the point now where I can speak about it, you know, in, in certain scenarios and not well up and not cry. Because the, the problem I have is going back to a nine-year-old that literally everybody when I was younger didn't like for, 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 for no reason of my own. And it was very difficult. So there's a lot of rejection issues I had as well, especially when I tried to play football when I was younger. The rejection and, you know what I mean, feeling sorry for myself all the way through that time to get to football, it was a real hard road. And I just had all that pent up inside. And, you know, it was it was really difficult until I started to speak to her. Yeah, it, like you say, you know, so many people out there for so many reasons need to revisit, well, don't need to, but it would be helpful to revisit stuff from childhood, things that have mm. held them back or whatever. But a lot of the time it does unfortunately come down mm. to money, accessibility, et cetera. Yes. And yeah. I think, you know, from, you know, I've, I've sort of done quite a lot of therapy over the years and and one of the things I've found is often you have to kind of go back and you have to parent your own inner child so you learn to parent Mm. yourself as a young kid because I I, I will still react sometimes from that place of the inner child I'll be super defensive Mm. or I'll get really angry about something and I know it's not Mm. coming from an adult place Mm. how do you deal with that dynamic if you can see yourself reacting from that place now do you just let it happen do you try and stop it no no no. I've, I've, it's not that I've got any mechanism to stop it but what it is is that it's like the question when people say what would you say to your nine-year-old self now and it's I, I probably wouldn't say anything of real note that's going to make him just like go oh is is that it no what I wanted more than anything else Fern was just to be hugged and loved and it was and everything was going to be fine because like I said I couldn't understand the words, some of the things that my mum would say, how nasty she was on a daily basis, my stepfather being scared to even go into the same room, all that sort of stuff. So if I could go back, I'd, I'd want to hug him and say, listen, it's going to be fine. You know, remember, this is not, it's not your fault. And what happens is, is that when I got older and I started to, and I became the patriot, all of a sudden everybody loves me in the family because I'm doing well, I'm playing football, I'm earning good money. And all of a sudden I can help everybody. It literally turned like a, a light switch. Everybody just all of a sudden, boom, we will love you now. And it was really hard, very confusing. And, and, and I, you know what? I, I was even more angry because what was happening was in that in scenario, Fern, is that when people were talking to me, and I, I said, I remember when you were saying these things to me. I remember when I, I, didn't, I couldn't even stay in the same room as you. Now, you, you, now you're, you're all over me because you, you want, it was 
the feeling of being used all of a sudden again it took me to another place of proper anger to the point where you know you kind of for me then I went through a few years of not caring really about stuff I was really on that apart from as long as I was scoring and doing well I really went on a a, a, a blast yeah well of course like growing up in a house where love was lacking that's gonna mm. have impacted you so massively you know developmentally and just with your growth and well you know what's your dynamic with love like today can you receive love easily or do you still have a bit of a block with that um no it's taken a while to be able to because uh, like my wife now our whole family's all everything's just love and you know they're just lovely people. They kind of got a, a hippie kind of vibe about them, you know. My mother-in-law is the greatest woman in the world. You know what I mean? When she's young, she was like 18. She got this little place in Greece and she's built it up to this unbelievable thing because she's so creative. She works at a theatre. Everybody's so creative and loving and brilliant in there. And I remember, like, Nancy would not let me not. How can I, how can I explain it? when I would get into my, my moments of like getting into myself because of the anger and the, the, the stuff, she wouldn't let me, she wouldn't let me do it. She'd want me to speak. She'd want to hug me. And it was very difficult at the start because I didn't want it. I was like pushing it away. I didn't know how to deal with it. And I suppose with, especially with, with football, the love was different because it was a, it was a love from the terraces and people just pouring love on you for what you, you were able to do. And I felt like I, I was I was just wallowed in that. But the, the tactile, close, trying to give you the love that you need, the, the huggy, touchy stuff, I've found very difficult, very difficult. Is there an element of like feeling like you didn't deserve it? Um, it's not a case of not deserving it, but I think it was, a, I didn't trust it because it, it, it was something right. I didn't, I didn't know and recognise too much. I remember saying when I... Firstly, when I started going out with my missus, I used to say things like, oh, God, I just wasn't hugged. And like, you know, when people mess around and say, it, when we do it, and I say, I just wasn't hugged as a child. And the fact is, is that I wasn't, I wasn't really hugged. So mm. I feel quite sad about that because I said, you know, I genuinely wasn't. And then I started to tell her about the stories and that. And then obviously she just wanted to make sure that I felt love all the time. I feel love all the time now. It's taken me a while to be able to deal with the tactile love and People just loving you just because, just for you. Because remember when I started getting love, adulation kind of love, it wasn't real because it was because the goals are scored or you're playing for the team and you're you're something that people look up to because you're their, their hero in respect to the goals you're scoring for their team. So then what happens is once you stop doing that, that kind of love, it can go away. Of course, people still give you the respect and the love now, but the, the fact is it's not the love that I was craving when I was a child from the people that I loved, you know? So it was very difficult to deal with genuine love, what I, what I get now on a daily basis. Yeah, love with no strings attached. No strings, all. yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Because you went from, like, that's two big extremes. You know, you, you went from no 
you know, family love and that sort of close, intimate love at home to then mass adulation. Mm. Millions of people adoring you. And we all know, well, you'll know better than anyone, how football fans and pundits will just turn on you. You know, yes. if things aren't going well, mm-hmm. that goes. You know, how, yeah. how did that mess with your head? Again, you kind of go into a place where when it starts going against you, where people also like you do something wrong and then people are criticising and being nasty, which I had a lot of, then you go into, I went, you go back to that place of, like I said, I'd come out of the house when I was younger and anything happened, bam, you, you have a fight. Now, obviously, I kind of have a fight when I'm older than a footballer, but like what I'd go into is that person of protecting myself by any means. You know what I mean? And that means saying things maybe to people who do so. Like, for instance, it would all come out, like I say, on the football pitch with the fans, with this and that. It would get me into even more trouble just trying to protect myself from people just having a go at me because it happened to me when I was younger and I had no way of protecting myself. You know, no, a feeling, feeling helpless. You know, that was the worst thing. You know, the worst thing I think about when I was growing up is the helplessness, and especially when he was, was like bullying my mum and hitting my mum and holding her up against the wall and stuff like that. I found the helplessness, what I had there was something that um, I'd never forget. And it's just a situation I'd never want to be in again. And it's funny because like any kind of, bullying at school or anything like that I literally could not stop myself from being in and around stopping that kind of scenario because when you when you're younger and you I tell you the worst thing Fern is when you're not in the room and you know something's going on in the room uh. and your mum is your my mum's what 4'11 I tell people that he was like 6'2 and you can hear her and you can hear the noises and you can't go in the room and you, you're just petrified you know that that kind of scenario was the kind of thing that when I was angry, those are the things that would come back into my head. And then you're looking at someone who's getting ready to lash out. And I think a lot of it came when I played football, whether I was training or whether I was playing in the game, whether I blasted off with fans, whether I, you know, any, anything, you know, because I didn't know how to deal with it. I mean, God, you, you, you just had so much to deal with because obviously for so long you didn't have an outlet, you didn't have... Mm a way of processing all of this anger and pain and trauma that you'd been through. And obviously for a lot of hard work and introspection and digging around in your past, you've been able to get to a place, does it feel peaceful, a peaceful place of it now? Or a place of acceptance? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot more peaceful now because what I've done, Fern, is it's very difficult to try and get... The lady, Rosalind, she's always said, you need to speak to your mum, you need to talk to her. So, But we're talking about a generation of people that, I don't know what my mum went through herself. Yeah. It was it's, it was it was very tough for her because for her to treat and say the things she said to me when I was a child, she must have had some serious stuff happen to her, which she never ever spoke about. Um, so it wasn't a case of trying to speak to my mum for any form of forgiveness. I wanted to try and speak to her so as I could close it off for myself, so then I could move on because the main thing is to break the cycle of it. Yeah, that's what it came down to. You know, and as many times I tried to have the conversation, you know what I mean? But like I said, my mum didn't want to talk about that kind of stuff. But for me, I had to close it off myself. And this is why I had to seek help. And the help that I got helped me to be able to deal with it and deal with the nine-year-old. And it's funny because Nuri said to me, well, you're, you're 57 now. You could you could deal with a nine-year-old. If that Those kind of little feelings come up. They come up now if I'm playing golf, when I'm playing shit golf or something. For, 
I could deal with it now because I don't have any reasons to get as angry as I was. But yeah. it, it's really helped me to to realise, well, who's angry? Why are you being that angry? Why have you gone to that place? Because it was so easy when I was younger to go straight from naught to zero in respect of anger because of the environment I was in. And so I'd always, like now, I could just say, just chill, man, just relax. You know, it's taken me quite a long time to get to that. But well, it's not easy. Me? It's not easy, no, is it? It's, it's, no, it's, it's one of the easy. hardest things to do. Like, you know, it, I think when anyone says it out loud, it sounds easy. Like, oh, and then I decided to not be angry. But yeah. we can feel yeah. so held back by our past. Mm. And for a lot yeah. of people, they might go through their whole lives without making that change, without breaking the chain, without going, you know what? Mm. This anger is not serving me anymore. I cannot mm. keep reacting from this place. I cannot be... Yeah a victim of my childhood as a grown yeah. adult you know but but so many people don't want to do the work or don't look at the work or just feel completely debilitated by it you know mm. it's, it's probably one of the hardest things you can do in life is to make a change is to make a change um to recognize that you need to make a change yeah because i went through a number of years because everything was so so comfortable around me no one in and around me is letting me really know that you know you, you need help you know Sometimes you snap, you know what I mean? You say things to people, which was which was just nasty some of the times. I didn't have people around me because who were helping me. The people around me that I, that I slowly weeded out over the years. And that is a vital thing you need to do. Yes. And, some, and you know, it's easy to spot them because they, they do things that you think, well, that's not nice. You know, I've known you for a long time. That's not the kind of thing friends do. That's not the kind of thing friends say. It's not the kind of, you don't use people like you're using and so you slowly as the years go by you you eliminate the people around you and you start to put the right people around you in and you're not talking about sycophant people you're talking about people who will say no man listen that's wrong you know what I mean you can't say that you can't be like that you can't act like that you can't you, you just need that you know what I mean and like I say when I went to speak to to, Ros- to Roslyn I, I just learned so much about myself to try and say be, be honest with you. you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror phone there's a many, many years I couldn't because I didn't like what I saw for a start. And I didn't feel, even with everything that was going well for me with the football, I didn't feel fulfilled. I'm playing football and it's like the job of my dreams. It's my dream to do what I'm doing. Sometimes I come from a football match and just feel sad, just feel a bit like empty. And it was that, that's when you start to feel, well, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And I didn't know. So then I remember, I think it came one of the main ones, is that I got sent off in a game. And as I got sent off, I just turned and I was so angry thinking that I'd, I'd been so wronged by the referee that I kicked the door in and I just smashed the room to bits. It was like a, a rage, a blackout rage that I had because I felt wronged. And I didn't even realise t- till I came out of the room what happened. And that was one of the things where I was like, this can't, I can't, I can't keep doing that. You know, you, you talked about that sadness in the documentary when, you, you know, it's a really poignant moment where you're with your family and your wife and you're you're having dinner mm. and you sort of admit that, you know, you, you've got a happy family, you've got a happy mm. family now, but there is that, that sadness can still sometimes creep in. Do, yeah. do you think that is because it's familiar? It, it's sort of almost a, a comfort zone to have that sadness nearby? You know what it is, Fern? I think that to have the, the happiness and like I see, and this is why I say Nancy helps me so much and my girls and their family, and the people I've got around me now is because when it's that good, I genuinely think something's going to make it unhappy and yeah, sad. I, I know that so feeling. I think that what happens is, Fern, is that you try to initiate the, to make it start going like bad. 
like my missus recognized it very early. She said, I know what you're doing. Don't do it. She said, just don't yeah. do it. You know, everything is brilliant. We're in this really lovely place there. And like, you know, why are you, why are you retreating? Why are you making it a place like it's, you're going to be unhappy? Don't go to that place. And literally you just need somebody to say that because then you recognize it. Then you have to be, you have to put your ego aside and saying, yeah, because it's very easy for me to do that with Nance now and say, okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Um, you know, because but the thing is, Fern, I needed that. Yeah. Because what would happen is, is that when things are going right for me, I feel like I'll, some, I've got to make something go wrong because it's going to go wrong anyway. Because that's how it's always been for me. Yeah, and like you're protecting could, yourself. That's all it was. You know, that's all it was from the from nine all the way through the teenage adolescent years. All those times when things are going so right, something inside me wanted to make it like, well, it's going to happen anyway, so I might as well initiate it. And it's taken me like again years. And somebody like my wife to realise that I know what's going on here and I'm not going to make that happen. Mm, it's sort of either hearing it or saying it out loud, isn't it? Because yeah. that resonates yeah. with me massively. You know, I think after I had that big spell of depression, I, I certainly went through a, a like, you know, probably a decade of doing just that, which would usually mm. come from a place of self-loathing. So something was going well mm. and I was waiting for this bad news or this bad yeah. situation. So I would sink into self-loathing, start berating myself, being really horrible mm. to myself yeah. internally to mm. protect myself from something that probably wasn't going to happen anyway. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. perverse that I think so many of us do but that. You know, what I used to do, when she used to say that to me, especially the first times, and I would realise it and it was literally... A fight with myself. I'd have to go upstairs. I'd go upstairs in the room. I say, I'm just going to go and do something. I'd literally have to go upstairs in the room and have a fight with myself, saying, "Please stop it. I don't want to be that person." Literally on my own, speaking to myself in the room, trying to to flush that 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 out, flush that horrible negativity out. And I'm literally fighting it like, "Please, I don't want to do this. I want everybody to be happy around me." And so that was um, something that I used to do quite a lot. Don't let the ego of not say, yep, yeah, you are absolutely right. I could do that now instantly. I could do it instantly now. Mm. It's having a a decent relationship with yourself, isn't it? It's yeah. it's having looking the... Looking in the mirror, yeah. Looking in the mirror, yeah. And, yeah. and and how, you know, are you at a place now where you have that self-acceptance, you have self-compassion, which I think is probably one of the foundations, the fundamental things in everyday happiness is, mm. is that self-compassion. Yes, yes, I do because like I, I have no problem in saying to myself, well, "Nice one, you do." Yes, you're, you're right, man. You're doing good today. You're, it's nice, you know what I mean? Because I think that what happens is, is that you know you, you can't say that out loud to people too much and say, you know, something. I'm I'm having a great day. I can say that now. I'm having a great day. I feel really good. I look in the mirror, I like what I see. I'm I'm moving right. I'm making. I'm doing stuff. I feel good about myself. And so, and, and what I do like is being able to say that because it makes me feel good when I'm now going out to the world, I do have self-compassion. I can say, don't feel sorry for yourself. You know, yes, you know, yeah, it's quite a sad thing, but you know something, talk to myself like that. Like how I, when I'm in the car and I speak to a higher force, whether it's there or not, if you believe that sort of stuff, that's like my biggest arguments with the higher force, whatever it is now. But I do a lot of talking to myself just to make myself feel better. No, no, I don't think, no, I don't think that. You know, sometimes you're in the car, you drive along, and, you know, I just think, no, 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 not that. You're not coming in that negative. <laughs> no, you're not coming in. I put and I put something on, put a record on, a blast, a really cool tune, and then yes, I'm bang, I'm back yes. again. Put on a positive song, and so 
that's the way I do it. That's the way I try and do it now. But I'd, I would urge people, I'd implore people to feel good about yourself with that self-compassion because it makes you feel good. Yeah. One of my mates once said, if you've got like a bad thought or, or it could be a person that's trying to infiltrate the good space you're in, mm. you're like, you're the bus driver and you just kick him off the bus. Just go get off. Don't, get don't off. want you in my bus. Yeah. Get out yeah. of my bus. <laughs> you know, one, one of the things that I, I really admire with what you've done with, you know, making this documentary, but also the, the personal work you've done to really dive into a, a very painful mm. place of the past is, is because it's so often the case. And, and I've had this in my own life where you don't want to look there because it mm. feels... It obviously it's too painful. It's too yeah. dark. You just want to push it to one side, but actually, and I wonder if you found the same. When you start to look into those dark corners and you do start to dig around, it's never as bad as you'd imagined. It's never oh. as painful as you'd. It's like you've locked away some big monster, which is actually. Mm gruesome and huge and awful over here but actually when you go and meet with that feeling all that time mm. and you sit with it it it's 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 hard but it's not as mm. bad no and it's taken a long time to get to that simply because like i said i i, I just think of the fact that people were just being nasty because they could it's, it's very difficult to explain because I, i'm not that person i'm not i'm not that nasty person i don't want to make somebody unhappy i could not just sit there like how my mum would be, I'd walk into a room and she'd tell me to get out or something because she can't stand me or, you know what I mean? Anything like that. And, you know, I look back at that and I think, well, she was, again, I'm able to now say, I don't know what she went through for her to be that nasty to me. So like you say, when you go back and you think about it, it does seem like it's not that bad, but it's only because of who it's coming from. You know, it's who it's coming from, for me, what hurt deep down because I would see love being given to other siblings. I'd see that kind of stuff. That was the, the thing that hurt more than anything else. Because then when you see that, some of the times, some of the days she didn't say anything to me of any real note of nastiness, but then she'd be all over my brother Morris or she'd be all over my sister. And then that would make me go into the room and feel really like, well, why, why does that happen to me? Uh, you know what I mean? So you look back and you think to yourself, as a child, that was my world. She was my world, my mum. Yeah. And everything like that. And so you look back at it and you say, yeah, she could have been nicer, but it's a lot easier for me to deal with simply because I think I've forgiven myself and I've forgiven her. Mm. I've forgiven her. Yeah, forgiveness is the biggest release, isn't it? And I, and I don't yeah. I don't want what I said previously to sound reductive of you having to do that hard work in any sense. I think what I meant no. was when any of us go back mm. and look at a painful time, yeah. the relief that we'll get from dealing with it will mm -hmm. be so much better and more powerful than just than ignoring it, it forever yes 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 without a doubt it, there is relief there will always be a relief even if it is awful to look at and you, hard you know, work you know the thing is Fern I think one of the, the toughest moments in that documentary was when I went back to the house for the first time oh. since we left there because that was the that was the times that it was that house and that room Don't know how you where did we that. had yeah the, we, we, and I, I, I thought I was ready for that you know what I mean? I'm not going to give anything away, but it was the room where I remember the, the darkest moments. I think it was my youngest time trying to watch Match of the Day and having to face the wall and the cold wall, feeling claustrophobic, very asthmatic at the time, my brother covering my ears. And then when I went into that room and saw, it, honestly, it, it literally flooded back. It's like, like you watch a film and you literally go back in time to the moment. And it was really 
really intense. But I think that I had to do it and I'm glad I did it. I'll never go back there again, if I'm really totally honest. But um, I'm glad I did it simply because it, it made me feel like you can deal with that now. Even though when I touched the wall, it was still cold and it was still just like, it was still a horrible kind of like experience. But I would rather, Fern, have gone back and done that than know that I'm going along my way knowing what kind of memories and emotions that would evoke. So I'm quite pleased I've done that because now I feel like I've dealt with that as tough as that was. Yeah, it allows you to release it, like let go of yeah. it, you know. Just yeah, to... you got to, yeah, you got to try. When I was watching that bit of the documentary, I mean, it was unbelievably moving and, you know, I, I, I can't imagine how that felt to go back into that space. And it got me thinking, you know, you went from being this kid who had to face the wall when Match of the Day was on, your stepfather mm. just out of pure cruelness made you... Yeah face the wall so you couldn't see, you know, your escapism, your yeah. your passion and your joy on the TV behind you, probably your one bit of joy that day. Yeah. Do you think any of that impacted how much you really pushed yourself when you were getting into professional football playing? Mm. Did it Was that an impetus for you to go, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you that I'm not only worthy of watching that show, I'm worthy of mm. being on that show? <laughs> um it would have been a million miles from my thoughts, if I'm really totally honest, because like I say, Fern, through the years when I was trying to become a footballer, trying to get into youth academies and that, the rejection, just in, it just compounded everything else. Just not good enough, worthless, nothing. There's, you have, you're, you're worthless, you're not good enough. And you know what I mean? I remember my mum used to say things when I used to go to the trials that many are called and few are chosen. You know what I mean? And it was something that um, she used to say all the time when I'd come back and I hadn't made it. Um, so I don't know deep down where the drive came from, but the one thing that I I did learn when I started talking about when I did finally become a professional footballer at 22, trying from the age of 10, is that for some reason, the first person I called was my mum. And obviously we were both ecstatic, but I don't know if I called her because I wanted to prove to her that yes, I could do it, or I was genuinely she was the first person I wanted to share my happiness with. And that was a confusing thing for me because I think the more I think, the more I do think about it, it was to say, see, I did it. I did it. So I was one of the chosen ones without any kind of support from any of you lot. For some reason it's happened. It's taken me 12 years to get here, but it, but it's happened. Um, but I don't know where the drive came from, but I tell you the drive from there on came because I knew that now I've got a chance because it was the first time in my life and I had clarity in where I was going. And it was all up to me now. If I train hard, work hard, live right, then I'm probably going to be a success judging by what the manager thinks of me and what they think of me. They've invested in my, in my ability now. So it was the first time in my life that I was able to move forward with some clarity of where I'm going because the years previous there was nothing and there was nothing to build anything on. So the, the, the drive came from, I personally believe my, just my love of football, just wanted to play. And I ended up playing a very high level of Sunday morning football with my friends who I loved. I kind of got over the fact that it wasn't going to happen for me with football simply because I was getting a bit too old. But now I get so many people writing to me and they say things even before they tried to Ian Wright didn't make it till he was 22. So I can still do it, which I'm really proud of. But like, if I'm really totally honest, 
you know, it happened in such a short space of time before I knew it. I was, I mean, I was a, a very poor lab- labor and plasterer. And then, you know, two weeks later, I'm a professional footballer with a direction in life. Mm. Well, it's remarkable that there, there wasn't a time when you just gave up and, you know, let your mm. childhood and that sort of lack of encouragement get to you. You know, you, you didn't. You mm. just kept on going with it. No, I mean, but it was de- yeah, but Fern, it was very difficult to, to get. I don't know. This is what I'd, I would love to be able to say to people. No, what I'd done was this because of that. Yeah. I just believe it felt normal that people were just being very negative. You know, it felt very normal. But the one thing that people couldn't be negative with me about was how good I was. But then the negativity would come because then you don't make it into the trials. And then all of a sudden people are saying, well, see, you are no good. So then you start somewhere like it beats you down a bit, beats you down a bit. And you have to find the self-belief. You have to find it in yourself. You have to find it. I mean, there's obviously one person that really helped cultivate that self-belief and that was your teacher, Mr. Pigman, who I know I've heard Mr. you talk Pigden, about. Yeah. Pigton, sorry. Yeah. I've heard you talk about him so beautifully. Yeah. And obviously there's that much-watched video of you yeah. online meeting up with him later down the line in life, mm. which I think, again, had such a huge impact on so many people. Just before I started recording now, I was chatting to Russell Brand on the phone and I mm. said, oh, I'm about to chat to Ian Wright. And he said oh my God, you have to tell him, well, not Mm. only how much he loves you, but also when he watched that video and listened to your Desert Island Discs, he Mm. broke down in tears and he's sort of dedicated this whole section of his new book to you and that video and the impact that it had on him because it was so massive. Mm. And I think it is just always beautiful when we see sort of, I guess, like an angel sent down, isn't it? Exactly. To sort of Exactly. To... You couldn't have said it any better, Fern, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> but you know what, Fern? You say that an angel, and it's only as I've got older and realised how he literally, just off of his own gumption, whatever you want to say, just said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look after this guy. I don't know what it was, Fern. I was outside the classroom three times that week, and he saw me three times, and the third time he just went into the class, had a word with the teacher, Mrs. Dance, and um, when he came out, he just said to me, come with me. And, you know, from then on, he taught me he taught me to read and write properly. You know what I mean? I, I was struggling with that sort of stuff because as soon as I didn't get, didn't grasp the lesson, um, Fern, I would, um, I would start to be disruptive. And so he taught me that. He gave me some responsibility. He told, he, he, I, you know what, Fern? I knew he loved me for, for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know why he chose me. You know, he could have had an unbelievable career in, in the army in the military and he chose to be a teacher because he wants to change someone's life I like to think it was my I was the life that he changed for me to go on to do what I'd done and then when he met me in that video and he says Ian I'm so proud of what I just, even I think of it now he's basically <laughs> I'm gonna go again <laughs> me too. when when he used to tell he used to say to me just just you know if you don't know Ian you must ask and I still do that to this day Taught me about goal scoring, about, you know, I remember he used to roll his sleeves up. He used to have his tie, roll his sleeves up. He had his really shiny shoes and he'd just play football with us. And he'd always say to me, don't blast it, Jimmy Greavesy, and pass it into the goal. He always gave me those little nuggets. But when I saw him um, at Arsenal, and the thing about it is, Fern, because I was so young and I used to always come around to his waist. So he was about three steps higher than me when we met. So I was around his waist again. So I felt like I was seven again. That's so lovely though. And so he was the first male who came into my life that I genuinely loved and trusted and Mm. felt that he felt the same about me. 
I think about him every day, simply because the mere fact that I'm here, being able to do what I'm doing and everything's gone well. Like I say, he said to me, I'm so pleased with how it's going for you, Ian. You've done really well. Bam, it finishes me every single time, simply because he saw me outside that, that classroom and he, he felt like, right, let me let me help him. Now, you go back to that school and they've got people like Mr. Pigden in place to recognise that youngster and the problems that that youngster might be having at home so as then they can come and speak about it. Because that's what I'd love to say to anybody, to tell somebody, to let people know, you know, that, that that's the main thing with this is let people know that you're unhappy, whatever it is, however you, you're able to speak to them. But like I say, they've got people now especially my old school tournament that can recognize that kind of behavior. But I was very fortunate that he recognized it. And on that particular day, in that particular week, he saw me outside a classroom on too many occasions, Fern, and he changed my <laughs> life. And he changed my life. But it was, it was lovely in the documentary when you went back to your old school. And as you say, was the, was the teacher's name Alexander? Was it Alexander? Yes, Mr. Alexander. Mr. Alexander. And he's just, like you say, doing brilliant things. So rather than going, this kid's being naughty, I'm going to punish mm-hmm. them. He's going, right, this behaviour is obviously unusual. Let's talk mm-hmm. to the kid. Let's address yeah. it. And what a shift that is. And, and you know, mm-hmm. maybe that's happened too late down the line. We should have had this all happening years ago. But, you know, yeah. it, it's it's slowly coming in. But I, I wonder, like, is enough being done in schools to help kids that are having trouble at home, which, of course, is going to not only impact them at school, but, mm-hmm. you know, later down the line in life, is enough being done? I don't think enough can be done. I right. think that that's the kind of, I think it's the kind of appointment in schools that's needed simply because, especially the, the back of this lockdown as well. Yeah. What's going Gosh. on in the households. Because I look at the, I look at the lockdown, Fern, and I could look at it in a way and think to myself, now, if I was back when I was eight, like seven, eight, nine, and that kind of age, and I was locked in with, with him, my mum, and everything like that, I don't know how that would have panned out. You know what I mean? And people have gone through that in the last year. It's risen in, in respects of um, abuse and, and it's gone through the roof. And like I say, there's, there's, there's kids present. So you're hoping that it's something that be rolled out in schools simply because you have to recognise that. It has to be recognised because it can only go on to cause more problems and cause more hurt and the cycle then doesn't get broken. You know, I was very, very fortunate. Turnham are very lucky to have someone like Mr Alexander doing what he's doing there and that's the kind of thing that is needed because it's very difficult for you to go and just speak to someone and say listen this has happened it is you know, this has happened at home and that's happened at home you do need that expertise in the school to recognize that these things are happening well that's right the teacher needs to or the helper whoever it is needs to coax it out of the kids because mm. you know also being a kid you, you don't know if that's the right thing to do to speak yeah. up to say something are you going to get yeah. your parents in trouble you know that yeah. that's a really scary place to be for a kid and especially on the first lockdown I felt sick about it knowing mm. that that was all going on as we were forced to shut schools and yeah. you know I've got young kids and I was thinking I can't imagine I just I, I, I couldn't I couldn't I didn't have the capacity to to believe that was going on everywhere. And then watching yeah. the documentary, hearing the statistics that 1.6 million women in yeah. the last 12 months will have been subjected to domestic violence. And as you said, mm. was it 90% of the time kids are, are around? It's shocking. It's like and chilling I think that they've to just, hear that. They've just now t- tried to pass a law where they're saying that, yes, kids are affected. Because before they... they that's where they said that the kids... They, they're not really dealing with the kids. 
it's not affecting the kids. But there's a law now that they're going to pass that the kids have to be affected by that. It must be. We know they are. I know they are. Because I, I, you know what I mean? I was affected by it. So you're hoping those are the kind of things that they could see through, they could lobby and get those through Parliament because I think that it's vitally important that cycles are broken. Otherwise, we're, it's just going to get worse. I, I, I think we're going to find out the real ramifications of this last lockdown and abuse in the household in not too distant future. And I think it's going to be shocking, even more shocking. I do, and it makes me feel really, really sad. It does make you feel sad, yeah. Yeah. Well, you're right, because, you know, people are just coming out the other end of experiencing that lack of escape or lack of, you know, being with a great teacher like Mr. Alexander or Mr. Pigden. You know, that lack is is huge Mm. and so detrimental. And like you say, we're going to see the fallout now. We're slowly going back to normal. And this is this is almost the crunch time now. This is the time where schools and certainly governments need to step up and go, right, what are we going to do? Like we've been through that awful time. What are we going? to do for these kids now how are we going to help them you know this is this is the crunch time because it's just god it just doesn't bear thinking about and again that's why it's just so important that you've made the documentary and that you you were willing to do it do that hard Mm. work on camera because I can't imagine how that felt not only having to (laughs) dig around in your past but to do it Mm. you know in front of other humans that's Mm. a place of vulnerability and like I say it was it was the it was a journey because I didn't know how I was going to react to certain things and I tried to as much as I could, Fern, I was just myself in it. I wasn't, wasn't trying to be no, mm, I'm trying to, let me find out. I was literally myself asking questions. Sometimes, you know what I mean? It, it, I, I can't help laughing at certain situations simply because of the way my, my personality is. And you know what I mean? I'm not going to go in there and act like anything that I'm not. I'm exactly who I am. And when I said I would do this, I didn't realise how much of an emotional toll it would take on me. It was really was, it really was tough. You know, sometimes it's very hard, some of the sleepless nights kind of vibe, um, knowing, for instance, that I, like the night before I went back to, to, to the house, I literally couldn't sleep. That was, that was tough. But like knowing that it had to be done and, and the response already from people who has seen little bits of it. I, I, I won't watch it at the same time as everybody else because I just get too nervous. But like the response of people has been fantastic up to this point. And the main thing for me is that the perpetrators, like the abuser and the abused, both of those sets of people can find help. I think that's the biggest message out there. You know, I want people to look at it and recognise and see like, yeah, I, I'm going to get in touch with these people. You know, like some unbelievable charities like the Hampton Trust, you know, Safecore, unbelievable charities that can help people in these times. You know what I mean? Search them out because the cycle has to be broken for and that's the main thing for me yeah you know you have to delve you have to delve into it and as 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 hard as it is i cannot stress how rewarding it will be at the end of it for everybody Mm, well thank you for highlighting these great organizations on the documentary because you know you're you're instantly putting them out to millions of people that could really really need to see it so um Mm. it's beautiful work and um as i said you know i'm I'm full of admiration that you sort of delve back into the past in such a way and also were happy to be filmed doing it because it's a powerful, Thanks. powerful bit of TV. It, it really is. Oh. It's it's an amazing, amazing documentary. 
And thank you so much for talking today. It's been a total honour, Ian Wright. God, how wonderful <laughs> to have you on. I feel very, very lucky. It's been an honour for me to speak to you, Furcon. It's not an honour, you know what I mean? I'm just pleased to be able to speak to you. It's very nice. It's very easy to speak to oh, you. Oh, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. I've had literally every male in my family say, oh my God, please tell him hi. I'm like, he doesn't know you. Why am I going to say like, hello from my brother-in-law, Tyrone? He doesn't know nice you. Word, Tyrone. <laughs> Nice one, Tyrone. I'm, I'm sending love, Tyrone. You know, it's like it's like my like Russell Brand. You know, I've spent a couple of some times with. Him. I know he's a Mad West fan. He said, thing, yeah, he's he's somebody that I love listening to and speak to. So I'm pleased that he said that. But yeah, oh, I, he, I can't honestly, thank you enough. You, you made enough. a huge impact on him, and it, and it's in his new book that he's got coming out soon. And he's like, uh, it, it just had a profound. And, and like this documentary, you know, you're doing really incredible work that's having huge ripple effects in such a positive way it's, it's a beautiful thing so thanks thank you Ian Wright thanks Fern Cotton oh, I cannot even begin to thank you for your time and energy today Ian I think Ian might be the nicest person I've ever interviewed what an amazing giving man his documentary Ian Wright Home Truths is a masterpiece a difficult watch at times but so incredibly powerful it airs on the BBC on the 6th of May at 9pm and will also be available on BBC iPlayer for you to watch in your own time. For more details on those wonderful organisations that Ian mentioned, as well as further help should you need it, head to the show notes. Please remember, there are people you can talk to. You can also share your own stories and thoughts with us on Instagram. We love hearing from you at Happy Place Official. We're building a beautiful little community there. And of course, there'll be another impressive person here next Monday to get those cogs in your brain whirring for the week. So hit that subscribe button on your podcast app if you haven't already. Thank you again to Ian, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio and to you for listening. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>